It's been a fun journey with them, hasn't it? If you've been here the last three weeks. So, good morning, everybody. When it comes to wants versus needs, I struggle. I don't know about you, but I struggle with knowing the difference between wants and needs. There are things that I want that I think that I need. There are things that I need that I don't want. <laughs> For example, one of the things that I, I think I need that I but just that I want, is a car. I want a new car. Um, I don't need a new car, but I want a new car. My car runs just fine. My 2009 Hyundai Sonata with 147,500 miles on it runs just fine. It starts every time I get into it. But let me tell you a little story. This morning, I had to move Pastor Brandon's car. Uh, Brandon, our associate pastor, I, I had to move his car. And so I get into his 2013 Toyota Camry and I uh, get ready to move it. And I push the button. It's, it has a button. Mine has a key. But I push the button. Oh, hey. And then I turn around and, and I'm driving it over here to the... And I'm like, wow, this is, I do need a new car. And uh, no, I don't. But I want a new car, even though I don't need a new car. Cell phone. I'm a gadget guy. I'm a total gadget guy. I'm a total gadget geek. I love gadgets. And uh, I want a new cell phone. I don't need a new cell phone, but see, I have a, 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 a Google Pixel XL. It's like the first generation of the Google phone. And it's fine. It does what it's supposed to. It zips along to the internet. It sends text to receive text most time. It uh, makes phone calls and things like that. You know, it does what it's supposed to, but I, like I said, I like gadgets. I like the latest and the greatest and the newest and the brightest and the shiniest. And, and I just, I don't need a new cell phone, but I want a new cell phone. And, and this is like, you know, I, I skipped out on the Google Pixel 2. I skipped out on the Google Pixel 3. And now I'm just waiting until October of 2019 for the Google Pixel 4. I've got a little construction paper chain in my office and I'm just tearing off one at a time just to make, we're almost there, Sean. We're almost, just hold on a few more months and we can get that new cell phone. I don't, I don't need a new cell phone, but I want a new cell phone. Clothes, you guys know, most of you know that Sean loves clothes. Sean loves to go clothes shopping. Sean, lo Sean loves to go to Macy's and buy new jeans and stuff. And I don't need new, well, I, I kind of do need new clothes. My clothes are starting to get a little tight. Uh, guess who's eating pizza rolls again? Oh, oh, the pizza rolls, you know, and... And I told, the, I told the crowd last night, I said, you know, I, will, I, I go to the oven, I, I mean, I, I start the oven, you know, because you have to, you have to cook pizza rolls in the oven. You got to cook pizza, it, it says right there in Hezekiah chapter 7, verse 8, thou shalt not uh, microwave pizza rolls. You shall not microwave Totino's pizza rolls. Just don't do it. And so I, I, I go and I fire up the oven, and of course, if I'm going to waste that much energy, electricity, and gas. I can't just put in like three or four pizza rolls. Did you know that the serving size on Totino's pizza rolls is three? Three. Uh, is this serving size for children? Because I'm a man and I need pizza rolls and lots of them. I mean, I... And if I'm going to use gas and electricity, I may as well put, I got to put at least eight to twelve of the things in there, right? For me, and then there's an eight to twelve for the kid, you know, and well, he, he, he thinks he gets six, but I, <laughs> I cook 12. <laughs> anyway, um, but I put the pizza rolls in the oven, you know, and here's the thing. I had people come up to me last night, and they're like, you only eat 8 to 12? Like, only? 
That's like four times the surgery size. Like, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll do a whole bag. A bag? I said, do you know how many there are in a bag? There's like 40 or 50 pizza rolls in a bag. Yeah, we, we do a bag each. Each? Like 40 pizza rolls in a sitting? And I'm, I started to re- and I had more than one person come up to me and say that. And it's like, oh my goodness, we need some kind of like pizza roll intervention here at GFCC as fast as we can because this is not good. This is not good at all. Is there like a 12-step pizza roll program that I'm not aware of? Because we may need to start one. But they're addicting. I mean, I don't know what they put in them. I don't know what. I went a year and a half without eating pizza rolls. And then I had one, and boom, I was done. I was done. It was like I, I, the stock in Totino's went way up when they found out I was eating pizza rolls again. It's a sickness. It's a want. It's not a need. And like I said, sometimes we think, I need this, when it really is just a want. And sometimes we think, I really want this, but it's not necessarily what I need. And we get confused between wants and needs. You know, we started this series three weeks ago called, Who Needs Christmas? And maybe that's where you are this year. Maybe you're sitting around going, man, I've had it with the hustle and the bustle. I've had it with the songs. I've had it with the buying the presents and the credit card bills. I've had it. i had it. Who needs Christmas? Well, we start off by talking about how the world needed Christmas. That 4,000 years ago, God appeared to a man named Abraham. And he told Abraham that the world was going to be blessed through his offspring. Well, the problem was that Abraham was really old. And he didn't have any offspring. He didn't have any children. And he was just, how is is the world going to be blessed through my children when I don't have any children? Well, God came through. God always keeps his promises. And God promised that the world would be blessed through Abraham, and Abraham had a son. Even in his late age, even when he was 90 years old, he had a son named Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons. Their names were Jacob and Esau. They were twins. And then Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons were the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And the nation of Israel grew and grew and grew and until they were enslaved by the Egypt people, the Egyptian people. And, and then God set them free from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And they, they went to the promised land, the land of Israel. And they continued to grow and multiply. And they grew in influence and they grew in wealth and they grew in power. Until the, the point where they became kind of too big for their britches. And they said, and, and, and God said, if you worship other gods, I'm not going to bless you. I'm going to have to discipline you. And sure enough, they, they started worshiping other gods. And God used other nations around Israel to bring judgment and discipline to his people. And groups like the, the Babylonians and the Assyrians invaded Israel and carried off the people into exile. And the, the Persians and then the, the Romans came in and they occupied the land of Israel. And you know what? Here's the thing. The world was a very violent place. It was a very dark place. But when the Romans took over, that all changed. There was peace between the civilized conquered nations. There was an elaborate highway and transportation system and, and seaport system where word could be spread easily throughout the empire. And God chose the perfect time 
in history to send his son. Because it was a time in history when his story would be written down and his story would not be forgotten. It was the perfect time in history to send Jesus. And when you think about it, think about this. It was the perfect time because no one has forgotten his story. 2,000 years later, we still celebrate the birth of a Jewish baby. Because that's what Jesus was. We still celebrate his birth every single year. We haven't forgotten. And we never will. I mean, think about this for a second. We celebrate the birth of this little Jewish baby. Who else do we do that for? Every year for 2,000 years. We don't do that anymore. We don't do that for anyone else. The entire calendar system hinges on the birth of Jesus. Like for most of the world, the, the calendar was changed when Jesus was born. We base everything. His birth is the hinge of history. For this little Jewish baby born 2,000 years ago. And God chose the perfect time to send his son. And that's what he did. He sent Jesus because the world needed Christmas. But not only did the world need Christmas, we saw last week how God needed Christmas. And that may sound strange to hear that God needed something because God doesn't need anything because he's God. What kind of God needs anything? Well, God needed a way to demonstrate his love for the world. We saw last week that love must be shown to be known. That if you want somebody to know that you love them, you have to show them that you love them. And that's what God did when he sent Jesus. He showed us, he demonstrated his love for the world when he sent his son. God needed Christmas to show us how much he loved us. And that's what he did. He showed us how much he loved us when he sent us his son. And so Jesus came into the world. And today we're going to talk about how we need Christmas. And we're going to look at a passage from the from the book of Matthew. Now, the book of Matthew is a gospel. It is uh, a biography of Jesus written by Jesus' good friend and one of his followers named Matthew. Now, Matthew was a, a tax collector. Uh, Matthew was a, a finance guy. And, and tax collectors in Jesus' day were seen a kind of a lot like tax collectors in our day. No offense to anyone who's a tax collector who has relatives who are tax collectors. But they weren't very well liked in Jesus' day because they were seen as treasonous traitors. That they worked for the Romans and they collected taxes for the Romans. And they often cheated their own people out of their hard-earned money in order to give it to the occupying Romans. The Romans were occupying the land of Israel and the Jews wanted them kicked out. The Jews were tired of the Romans and yet you, their own people are working for the Romans to collect taxes for them to support their occupation of Israel. But Jesus came across Matthew one day and said, I want you to follow me. And, Jesus, and Matthew got up and left the tax collector's booth and started following Jesus. And later he was inspired by God to write the story of Jesus' life. We know it as the gospel of the, the book of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew begins telling the story of how Jesus was born. And in verse 18 it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what you've got to know about the name of Jesus, okay? When it says here that this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about, I want to look at the, a couple words real quick. The first is the word Messiah. It's a Jewish word. It's a Hebrew word. 
Uh, and the Greek word, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. The, the ancient Greek word for Messiah is the word, uh, uh, is, is the word Christ, Christos. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. He was not the son of Joseph and Mary Christ. Uh, he was Jesus the Christ. Christ is his title, and it means the anointed one, or uh, it means Messiah. And so Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one, the one promised by God who would come into the world to save the world. So Jesus is the Messiah. And his name, Jesus, that's an actual, that's the English form of the Greek word, Jesus. Uh, and uh, the Hebrew name uh, that Jesus was given is the word, is the name Joshua or Yeshua. And that means the Lord is salvation or Yahweh is salvation. So Jesus, Yahweh is salvation, is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the one who was promised to come into the world. So Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the one that God promised to send to save us from our sins. And so Mary, his mother, was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And she was found to be pregnant. She was found out to be with child. And here's the thing. In those days, uh, if you were engaged to be married, you would have to go through a legal proceeding in order to break off the engagement. You would have to get divorced in order to break off the engagement. It was a, a legally binding thing to be engaged. Uh, you wouldn't engage in relations yet, uh, but uh, you had to break it off through a divorce uh, once the engagement was enacted. So... Mary is found out to be with child. Joseph is a righteous man, and he, wasn't, he hadn't been with Mary yet in a marital way, uh, but uh, she was found out to be with child, which means only one thing. That means, in Joseph's mind, that she cheated on him, that she was an adulteress. And so Joseph had a couple of options, a couple of things he could have done. One, he could have made a public disgrace of her. He could have divorced her publicly and exposed her to shame and ridicule. Or he could have divorced her quietly and just sent her away. But either way, she would live a life of poverty. And she would have to support a child on her own because no one would want to marry an adulteress. And then he could have married her. Let's see what he did. Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he's just going to quietly divorce her, not not disgrace her, not shame her, and he's just going to have her sent away uh, and, and kind of fend for herself. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, that God was in this. God was a part of this. This was God's doing. And God was working, and he was going to do something incredible. He was going to do something almost unbelievable, something very remarkable. And verse 21 tells us what that is. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, Yahweh is salvation, because he will save his people from their sins. From their what? From their sins? Now wait a minute. Hold on a second. The Jews weren't looking for a, a Messiah to save them from their sins. They were looking for a Messiah to save them from the Romans. They were looking for a Messiah to save them from uh, Roman occupation, from, from oppression. But Jesus was coming to save them from their sins? 
Huh. You see, they wanted a Savior who would save them from the Romans, but they needed a Savior to save them from their sins. It's that wants versus needs thing again. And in verse 24, we read what Joseph did. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He did what God told him to do. And Jesus was born to save us from our sins. And you see, Jesus is the only one who could do it. Jesus is the only one who could save us from our sins. Because he lived a perfect life. He never sinned in any way. He was an unblemished sacrifice, an unblemished lamb who can take away our sins. Jesus never lied. Uh, he never disrespected his parents, teenager, parents of teenagers. I know that sounds crazy, almost unbelievable, but no, Jesus was respectful to his parents. He, he never stole anything, never took anything that didn't belong to him. He was never immoral in any way. Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect sinless life he lived the life that we could not live because we are not perfect we are we are all sinners and jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live and then he died the death that we deserve you see jesus took our punishment when he took our place he died the death that we deserve we deserve the cross, but Jesus went in our place. He took your punishment, and he took my punishment when he took our place on the cross. Hebrews 4.15 says this, We have one, a high priest, who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Even though we give in to temptation, even though we do the things that are wrong, even though we disobey God and we hurt one another, and we hurt other people, and we hurt our families, even though we sin, Jesus never sinned. Even though he was tempted to sin in every way, the Bible says, he was tempted to sin in every way, yet he did not sin. He lived the life that we cannot live. And then he died the death that we deserve. He took our punishment when he took our place. See, we are weak and sinful, but Jesus was stronger than sin and temptation. And because Jesus was stronger than sin and temptation, he could go to the cross and be an acceptable, pleasing sacrifice to God the Father for our sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, our sins died with him. Our sins are gone. Our sins can be forgiven. Our sins can be washed away. And you may be thinking, but John, you don't know what I've done. You may be thinking, there's no way God could ever forgive me from my sins. You don't know the people that I've hurt. You don't know the ways that I've hurt my family. You don't know the, the financial missteps and the final financial mistakes that I've made. You don't know the, the ways that I've, I've hurt my friends. You don't know the, the decisions, the poor decisions I've made, the, the sins that I've committed. You don't know what I've done. Well, God knows. And not only can God forgive your sins, God wants to forgive your sins. Not only can He forgive your sins, He wants to forgive your sins. Every single one of them, past, present, and future, God wants to forgive you because God wants to spend eternity with you. God wants to spend forever with every single one of you. He wants to spend forever with you. 
And it starts when you take a step toward the Savior. And you may be wondering, well, what is my step? What step do I need to take? Well, maybe it's a step, it's the first step of faith. Maybe it's just saying, you know what, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that He is coming back again and that He wants me to spend forever with Him. It starts when you say, I believe. Or maybe your step, the step of faith you need to take is the step of repentance. It's saying, you know, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for God. I want to turn away from a life of sin and turn to a life of forgiveness. I want to turn to God for forgiveness. It's called repentance. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Or maybe your step is to acknowledge your faith and just publicly declare that I believe and to be baptized. Say, I believe and I want to identify with Christ and I want to obey Jesus by being baptized. And then start to live a new life. And God wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to transform your life. He wants to fill you with His Spirit to change your destiny. To transform your life and change your destiny. And if you're watching online, if you're watching here, God cares about you and He loves every single one of you and He wants to change your life and your destiny. And He can do it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and He came into the world to die for your sins and mine. And God raised Him from the dead on the third day just like He said He would. And he's coming back. And when he comes back, he will take us home to be with him forever and ever and ever. And if you are, are at that point where you're saying, I need to take a step of faith, we invite you to do that. We offer an invitation every Sunday, and today is no different. We offer an invitation every weekend to, to make Jesus your Savior and Lord. And we'll do that in just a moment. You see, there's a difference between what we want and what we need. And sometimes we don't always want what we need. What we need most is a Savior. And God in His goodness, and God in His grace, and God in His love gave us what we needed most. We needed Christmas, and God sent His Son to give it to us.